This is Rachel Cobb with KGLP. I'm on a Zoom call with uh, the authors of Send a Runner, uh, Edison Eskeets, who is the runner, and Jim Kristoffik, who is the writer. Um, I, I think in uh, Navajo, uh, Edison was just uh, sharing that um, there are different interpretations and definitions uh, depending on the pronunciation of the Navajo word for the runner. Uh, Edison, can you repeat what you were just telling me about the difference between a jade and jade? Sure. Um, a very unique terminology. Uh, the run itself that I embrace, it's referred to as jade. It was a practice that was done prior to the influx of the European and we're talking centuries ago um, and it we don't do that anymore Jada was a designated runner that carried the message medicine uh, ceremonies um, they relied on that run this is before wagons horses and vehicles so they needed to have someone to carry such items and so Jada is uh, a terminology that is, I think it's important. Uh, history is, is very important. So that is a part of this book. Now Jada is an antelope, it's an animal. And that is a runner as well, but that's more of this, you know, the flow, the agility and all that. Um, so that's the definition. There is an old, uh saying um, some people might trace it to European extraction, but uh, it also probably applies to indigenous culture, and that is the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, um, mm -hmm. or in this case, don't shoot the runner. Well, that actually happened on occasion. The, the runner would be sent, and, and uh, the people who received the runner would uh, take the message and then dispatch the runner. Mm -hmm. not, a, not, a, not a good... Uh, history. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I mean, I just on my daily training, um, I was uh, confronted with two gunshots. Not too, it, it luckily it didn't hit me, but they were close. I can feel the sand. <laughs> now, this book um, is ostensibly. Um, a recounting of your ultra marathon from Canyon de Chez to uh, the Palace of the Governors in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This was a commemoration of sorts for the long walk, but it wasn't actually tracing the 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 route from Fort Sumner, uh, Hawiti to. Uh, you know, to Window Rock or Navajo land. Uh, could you explain a bit, uh, Edison, um, what the thinking was on how you decided on the route for your ultra run? Since this is the Southwest and it's very appropriate, it this preparation was over 40 years of preparation. A lot of meetings, a lot of appropriate individuals, we call them medicine people, a lot of meetings. And I had a lot of questions. Um, and these folks will just give me pieces of it. They, um, they'll have some information, but not the complete information. So through the years, I mean, we're talking many years, I did the six locations of the sacred mountains. It's called whole one, it's the whole God, but also it's the mountain. In reality, the home that we see as home it is simply a shelter, a place to sleep. Your whole one is actually the land, the land across the Navajo Southwest region. Um, so that's another one. It's, it, uh, it's you know, I, I know the mainstream society has changed us a lot. And, and so that was a part of it too. So I made six runs. To all, say I can name the the, the location. It is actually Cisnagini to the east, uh, Mount Taylor. Um, so this, or Kotzlo Sleet, the Bensa, Chol Eh, 
and Tisnao uh, Tbilisi. And those last two are actually the entrance, the doorway to our, our home for one. So that was done. That was a good preparation, uh, a resourceful, energetic, reinforcing the well-being of a living jada or runner uh, through the years. And then finally, I came to this uh, long walk. And there are many walks that I think there were over 50, 50 walks that were done through the years. And the first walk was a walk from um, Canyon de Chez, Fort Defiance, Wingate, Fort Wingate, into Albuquerque, and then into Santa Fe. Uh, people would march into Santa Fe uh, for the, I guess, there's an old saying, the prize walking the people through the plaza was one thing of the outside to see, to say, look what we've done. And then finally, uh, a longer walk into uh, Fort Sumner. So my, and I know in history, you're not supposed, you're not supposed to go, go back to Fort Sumner. And I, I understood that. Again, 40 years of preparation, I truly understand that. And so I never uh, went to Fort Sumner, but I did run the first leg uh, where it started into the government location where decisions were made. That's where I took the message. And it was really to acknowledge that we survived and the survival of our medicine, our language, our farming, our own education, uh, and the list goes on. And we're still here. You know, history in itself across the board in the Americas is very devastating and we manage. And so it was really to acknowledge, and we have changed so much in the mainstream society. We have changed so much, and we continue to change. But history is vital. It's so important that we need to maintain that. Look at the language, and the language is a huge part of it. Edison, if I could take a moment, I, I would like to touch uh, base with uh, Jim Christoffick who is also sure. on the line with us. Um, you mentioned the devastation of this history leading up to the imprisonment of the Hawidi, um, the Huede or Hawidi, um, at Fort Sumner. Uh, the book is a combination of uh, uh, documenting your run and the backstory of that run, as well as some history of the events that you're commemorating the, and uh, some commentary. Jim, do you want to speak to how you put this, uh, how you structured the book? Sure. Uh, one of the key understandings I had looking at the combination of laws and policies this is something I needed to depict to demonstrate how profound it was that Edison would run before the palace of the governor to run into Santa Fe. Because if you look at all the policies, all the laws, the collective decisions <clears throat> of the Spanish, the, uh, the territory of New Mexico, the American government, those laws those policies were designed to put the Navajo people on their knees. And so it's profound that Navajo family, Navajo man, would be running to them on his feet. So uh, I knew that and Edison demonstrated the structure to me actually, near Canyon de Chez, when he was running through Chinle. When he was running, and the people around Chinle demonstrated what needed to happen, because he would run down the road, run through the Chinle Valley, up toward that big hill that takes you up toward Burnside eventually, that above beautiful valley. And when he would be running, people would drive past him 
and they'd be like, Yego, Yego, like they knew like he was running for a, a purpose and whatever that purpose was, was good and was profound. But there may have been other people who were driving behind them who were not from Chinli or Many Farms or uh, Chibachimbapo who didn't understand why that run was happening. And so I knew that the book would need to have space to show here is the run, here is Edison moving through space, but the reason he is moving his body through space and doing this ceremony is because how the people and humanity has had to move through time. And so I thought it was appropriate to show them both at the, in, in the same movement. Edison, did you have anything to add? Um, I, I think humanities, it, it addresses the humanities. It's also, this is also global. It's not just the Southwest. It's actually the Americas from Alaska to Ch Chile. And then, of course, you're looking at the, the Asiatic countries, uh, the middle, uh, the, the, the European country, countries itself is, is well included because we are our people. Uh, we are the net, and the net is actually people around the globe. And our Navajo name is actually Nabahi, the seeker the seeker of medicine. I know sometimes not Bahi, we, right away, we have this collection of military. It, it's not that, maybe part of it down the road, but it is actually, um, I'm going to say this in Navajo, that, that is the term, not Bahi, the seeker. That was our original, again, we don't use that. Instead, we are comfortable with Navajo, which is Pueblo, Navajo, which is Spanish, and then um, I, I think there's another one too. Um, so you know, even those terminologies are 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 very important in this. Um, the run is I know it's a run, um, it's a physical run, but to me it was a dance. Uh, I had a rattle with me along the way and so it was truly a dance a 330 mile dancing um, which is unique that uh, aspect of the dance it's it's mentioned uh, a number of times throughout the book uh, there's a metaphoric aspect uh, to describing your run as a dance there are also some metaphors uh, of how the pain that you sustained during your run could be seen as a metaphor of sorts for the pain suffered by ancestors uh, leading up to the imprisonment, uh, whether it was the uh, killings, thousands of people murdered, uh, slaves, uh, the burning of the fields, the um, destruction of property, taking of livestock. Uh, for you, was the commemoration of that pain an important part of, of this process? Oh, yes. I, I felt this years ago, even before the run. It, I, I knew what I was going to be confronting. Wedde uh, is uh, a name. Uh, even Wedde is... Uh, I, I, I'm going to say this in Navajo because I think Navajos will be listening. Um, your, your, your body, that is pain. And your recovery, sometimes it's lengthy in it. Um, and again, Terminologies are really, really powerful in, in this book, um, and it's very inclusive. There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of humor, um, as well as you know, day-to-day -day things that we do. And you're right. Um, the 
the empowerment of these people had and as they march and they're buried along the way kids grandparents fathers sons you name it uh, all the way through and now and then I will run across an energy that is very potent I know it's there and I could feel it sometimes I have to slow down or a walk a little bit uh, just to acknowledge that end of it very powerful stuff uh, in some respects, is this also uh, a recognition, um, as I think was mentioned uh, in the book, that um, the perseverance of the Navajo people, and for that matter, even Apache, um, was a significant result of this, that you know, through all of this... Uh, enough of the Navajo people survived to rebuild a nation. Yes, I think that's quite evident. Um, we've changed. I, I think the mainstream society has a hold on us, and that's okay. I, I don't uh, despise that. But I, what I am interested is the, um, the humanistic uh, development the humanities, and humanities is about our voices, our songs, our churches, our roads, our um, everything that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, the humanities, and it's important. And I think it's wonderful to rely on both. There's nothing wrong with being Navajo. There's nothing wrong engaging in the mainstream society. The more you have, it's a powerful tool that you can have. Uh, so the folks that survive, um, it, you know, again, it's important to view where we come from. I think there's an old saying where, well, what happened yesterday is not important today. I, I don't know about that. I, I struggle with that. To me, what happened yesterday is very important. It's very, very important to me. Edison, um, you mentioned several times that uh, this ultra run from Canyon de Chez to uh, Santa Fe was about 40 years in the making. Uh, you have a long history as an athlete running uh, in high school for Haskell uh, in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, how long have you been running? Were you running um, as a young child? Probably five years old. I was running at five years old uh, because we had the animals. We had chickens, pigs, uh, horses, goats, sheep, and whatnot. So I was very, very active. At the time, I didn't know I was running, you know, for, for the sake of athleticism. It just, it was always with me. It was part of life. Uh, it was in high school where I entered so-called cross country or track and field. Um, and then from that point on, I was able to mix. I wish sometimes, I mean, this is just a wish that, you know, I didn't do the ultra running and just focus on just the, the competition. Um, it's just a wish, uh, but I wouldn't change anything. I'm glad because long distance running really tears up your body. It, it really demoralized your joints your muscles, your reflexes, all the above. Um, but I was able to manage both. Uh, I was, you know, very competitive, uh, but I also did the long run at the same time. In terms of uh, looking at the logistics, uh, people who do not do these long runs um, maybe don't realize that the, uh, the feed is not... Um, a continuous run, you know, without sleep, without food, but rather you, you, there's a logistic, there's a, there's a strategy in taking it several miles at a time, typically, um, especially in hot weather, humidity, um, uh, you know, trying circumstances, this becomes really critical. And along the way, uh, your support staff, your family 
would mark where you would stop the run to rest or take on uh, nutrition? Right. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Jim speak into it because he witnessed all of this. Um, and I, I think as an outside, you have a better description of what is taking place. Because when you're running, you're very simple-minded. You're just, you know, trying to make the next step. And so the viewer from the outside has a better connection uh, and a, a better narrative. So, Jim, I'm going to leave this up to you. All right. Jim's going to come on. Uh, and there was some talk about how uh, math problems might be problematic, and, and Jim took <laughs> took off on that a little bit, talking about how uh, not only how many miles you traveled, but how, how, how uh, far cumulatively you traveled into the air. Jim? Oh, yes. Uh, it was good to observe, uh, observe an athlete behaving intelligently which is what that preparation was uh, because Edison knew, and, and I'm also an athlete. I train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I'm pretty active. And so when he would say something, I could relate to it completely. And it actually was very good advice for me as well. Uh, just knowing not to eat too much, to not fill your stomach too much, to not drink too much. There were times when Edison would want to just drink down too you know, 16 ounce sweet teas. And he probably could have no problem because he was losing so much salt. Uh, but he knew if he did that, it would dedicate too much blood flow to his intestine, to his digestion, take it away from his legs. Uh, I also observed uh, his, the appendages, the joints, like he was describing, taking quite a be uh, beating when he had to dress his feet in his socks um, he knew at times when he would be really sweating and his feet would be very hot and in pain, he would want to maybe redress a bandage, but he would not do it because he knew if he did, it would be so warm and, uh, shall we say, slimy down there with sweat. One of his toenails might come off um, uh, and that would create infection, pain, and that would end the run, essentially. Uh, I saw him run on a bowed ankle, um, and that was very painful to watch uh, because I knew, uh, having had injuries in the past, um, what it takes to push through that hurt. Because they'll say, like, when you're doing athletics, you've got to play hurt. Are you hurt or are you injured? You know, the coaches will say that. If you're hurt, you can go. Are you injured? Okay, now you need to recover. I think Edison may have been running injured. Uh, at times like that was my outside perspective uh, now I don't have the depth of knowledge of running that he had uh, and has but um, I can feel uh, and recognize that he was having not only entering a different reality because of that physical pain but um, the pain was maybe even driving him into that reality to get him to the finish um, yeah, it was it was quite a thing to see. But the restraint that he had and the discipline, that is what stood out to me. Because when you're not used to suffering, uh, you often grasp for the most drastic cure to that suffering. You don't trust the suffering. Uh, I could tell Edison trusted his suffering very much and knew when to be a dance partner with it and when to seek comfort and nutrition, but when also not to take too much and going back to the the topic of metaphor i mean there, there are so many ways you can talk about this uh, you know the you could you could talk about how edison's entry into santa fe uh culminating the the end of his ultra marathon in some respects, you could compare that to La Entrada, the re-entrance of the Spanish to Santa Fe after being driven out during the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. Um, you know, it's a different circumstance, but uh, again, um, uh, a lot of pain leading up to a, an historical event. Oh, yes. Uh, and, you know, one of the lines from the book that I... When I read that line, I feel a lot. I feel 
which is that, um, you know, there was the revolt, there was the Pueblo revolt, there was the second entrada, the repeat. But um, I think one line from the book that resonates with me is that for, for the Navajo, for the Diné, the revolt will never stop. Just as as you mentioned, and as many people have noted, um, the end of the Civil War wasn't really the end of the Civil War. It's still going on. Uh, yes. I have a master's degree in American studies. I've spent quite a lot of my time reading of the conflicts in the American understanding. I in a way, gave a decade of my life to going and living in mainstream America, as did Edison. Edison has also lived kind of in that, you know, what they call Boswash, Boston to Washington, D.C., where like that mainstream American identity was formed. And he's spent actually way more time observing it than I have more acutely. But that is something I have observed in all of the forces that conjoined the armed conflict of what we call the Civil War, they are essentially still present in America, uh, whether it be slave labor, because, you know, we had the 13th Amendment that ended slavery. It doesn't end it for prisoners. If you can manipulate the legal system to lock people up and put them in a, in a cell, in a cage, you can still enslave them. That's in the Constitution in the 13th Amendment. Okay. So, the forces that prompted the Civil War, yes, they are just moving at a more bureaucratic, banal pace, but we still contend with them. Though Americans, I don't think, have, on the whole, have not gained the vocabulary to articulate their grievances with those forces, because they're essentially told in high school, and I know because I'm a high school teacher, that the Civil War ended. Uh, I teach 11 honors English, I taught 11 AP English. I never teach my students that the Civil War ended. And in fact, many people uh, in the United States still think of slavery only as a condition that affected uh, African-American people. Uh, when, in, when in fact, and, and as re- reiterated in many books, including this one, that uh, slavery of indigenous people by uh, Europeans by other tribes was an ongoing uh, tragedy. Uh, yes, and I would direct people if they are interested in that story to look into a, a wonderful book, wonderful in its scope and technique, horrible in its subject matter. Of course, it's called The Other's Slavery. And it's a clear documentation of how slavery of Native peoples worked from the first landing of Columbus all the way up through Mexico into New Mexico and California. And it's a profound work by the historian who wrote it, whose name I can't remember. It's called The Other Slavery. Uh, yes, and you, and that, that enslavement is there. Um, it's the, it was there in America too. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, when he was running for presidency as a Republican in the 18, late 1850s, early 1860 there. He uh, used a phrase that, and, and all the people who ran for president used this phrase that most people aren't even taught in high school anymore. They would talk about slavery, which refers to chattel slavery, which means I own you like I own a mule or a cow. Uh, you're my property, protected by the Fourth Amendment. I get to own you, end of story. And then the other slavery was wage slavery. That was an enslavement of one's labor by paying so low a wage they could not sustain their own life. And though they were not locked in cages at night or kept on a property and not allowed to move, they were so economically chained that they had no freedom of movement. So that was called wage slavery, and that was something that all the candidates for the presidency of 1860 talked about quite in depth, and which we tend not to talk about in such depth today. Uh, Jim and Edison, uh, coming out of this experience, not only of uh, Edison's ultramarathon, but also of preparing this book, uh, what are the biggest takeaways that come out of this experience for the two of you? 
I'm going to speak here. Uh, on my end, um, and, and it was mentioned twice in, in the book, and it's about the story. Um, the stories uh, through, through the centuries, um, they're so old that they are lost in the sand. And that was profound to me. Um, it, 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 it underscored uh, the behavior of mankind, if you will. Um, and it, it is so evident today. I mean, today I think people are, you know, it's, it's the mainstream. It's, it's what's happening. It's the, the, you know, we're on Facebook and we're uh, on the computers constantly and looking for that quick gratification. Um, meanwhile, the old story where we came from is untouched. And I think, you know, uh, Jim had some great footage, narrative about the story, um, about the government, about the, you know, the eight, uh, 1680s um, Pueblo revolt. Um, it's a huge story in, the, in that. Uh, the Spanish, how they were trying to conquer the United States. Um, you know, and they were actually in in the Midwest and they confronted the wrong tribe, Lakota, and they sent them back all the way into Santa Fe. And then the revolt uh, happened and they were back into Mexico for about 40 years. So there's a lot of these stories. Um, and then the influx of, of tribes um, as allies. There's a lot of betrayal. There's a lot of movement. Um, you have, you know, tribes from Arizona going in, going into New Mexico or vice versa, uh, that mix. Um, and, and so I think the book serves a tremendous asset to the educational setting in high school and the higher education. I think this is so important. I, I'm, I'm sure down the road um, it, it will be um, a material that will be yeah. I, I'm just hoping that it will be in demand. And um, uh, Jim, I would love to have you uh, chime in. You are both educators, uh, Edison, Jim. How can uh, stories uh, recounting such as this book, Send a Runner uh, from New Mexico Press, how can this uh, help uh, students to better understand history and the humanity um, that that is impacted by history. Well, uh, if I could speak to that, um, you're asking also about takeaways, and that's really what it's about. It's giving young people uh, who are maybe in their teen years or early twenties takeaways. Uh, I can, you know, there, there are many, many books about the long walk. Uh, I can go to the University of New Mexico Press uh, library in the in-house, and there are some there. I can go to the University of New Mexico College Library. There are many. I can go to the Taos Library. There are books on the long walk. And I don't know how much those books will make you feel when you read. Uh, this book... The way I wrote it, the way Edison demonstrated it, uh, will make you feel. And through the feeling, you create memories. And the memories, they become part of the items we take with us to confront new ideas. New so because the language is so uh, concise in the book and it's written in a very active way, I don't think young people will have any difficulty reading it or understanding the images that are in it. Uh, it would be very approachable and it's a short book compared to the length of some of those histories. 
uh, and it's designed to just put it in their hands in a size that their hands can grab. That was the goal. And so if they can carry it with them, they'll keep it in mind. If they can't carry it, if it's too bulky, if the story's too big, uh, they leave it behind or maybe even it cripples them. So that was uh, the image I tried to keep in mind while editing the, the, the written text. There are a number of uh, photographs in the book, black and white photographs um, for the publication. For either of you, um, how significant are these images that you're including with the book, all of which are cited within the text, whether uh, things like your your daughter's uh, uh, sketch of you running or to uh, uh, sketches of you on the road to uh, various signs or landmarks along the way. Um, how do you think these reinforce the the book, the story? I think it's a time frame. The time frame, if you look at the story of how it was constructed, it started with Cain uh, Deshay, uh, and the stories are there. As we move towards Fort Defiance, the stories are connected there, as well as going into um, the trading post is a part of it as well, uh, into Albuquerque and then into the, the Pueblo areas into Santa Fe. So those are all interconnected and photographs are attached to those events, if you will. Uh, and the Pueblos are, are part of it. You mentioned Apache too. Uh, the rattle that I had with me was Apache made, again, to indicate Apaches were also in camp for a number of years. Um, so those are well connected. Um, there are a lot of stories behind those photographs as well. And even at the beginning of the run, uh, the start of the run, it was a traditional outfit. There was no Nike. Um, all I had was a kilt. I had long hair, bare chested, and moccasins. That's how we, with a yasakad. That was a rug with Spider Woman. Uh, at Canyon de Shea. And so that was very significant to open the, the, the dialogue of the story of the people of the Southwest. And it, it was to acknowledge the great one uh, that this is going to happen and we need the guidance. Well, I needed the guidance to, to complete this. Um, so, yeah, uh, the photograph has a um, a, a, a fair significance um, into history as well. Now, in terms of the education that um, Jim was reflecting on, I believe that it's very important in the in the academic setting. The five academic course studies should have this cross curriculum. They should all cross. Um, in athletics, you still should have the language. You still should have the mathematics. You still, all that is, in all the classes, um, history should always be a part of it. Um, at the very early stage in <clears throat> secondary schools, into high school, junior high, and, and of course, into college, um, it will have a profound effect. At the... Uh end of the story of one of uh, the significant events in the plaza of Santa Fe uh, was that uh, Edison, you, you, you cut your hair. Could you talk a little bit about why that was important to do? It was to acknowledge uh, the, the heart, the mind, the soul, uh, the energy, and to put a closure uh, to I think with that uh, event of cutting the hair, it was to validate, to really underscore the, the, the human energy, the emotion that was, uh, that was there. Um, to, um, to have a profound uh, token as a statement. 
I think gestures, uh, the run itself, um, uh, the energy of that person uh, at the very end, um, you know, you see things because words are words. Um, you, you can actually lie with words, but action has a, a, a total different meaning to it. You know, even our language, our Navajo language, at the very beginning, uh, when a lot of the things were addressed, language was a part of it. At that conference, if you will, when the language was being discussed, it was understood that the Navajo language will never, ever be written in the duration of the Navajo people. What we have today is we have audios, we have uh, books that says Nav learn Navajo, Navajo made easy. That is all in English phonetics. If I take one of those books, go to the reservation, go to grandma, and I'll say, this is a Navajo book, please read it, it's not going to happen. But the language is important, and I think this is why the book is so important. Uh, history is so important. Um, and the bluebird is a part of that. The bluebird agreed. That's why we have the rug call uh, tree of life, and the bluebird is always in it. Um, those were one of the entities that was uh, constructing the language for us. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now. Rambling is good. Sometimes uh, brainstorming and rambling go together. Um, Jim or Edison, um, any, any final words as we begin to wrap up today? I, I'm going to throw in um, just a, a, an acknowledgement. Uh, <clears throat> from the very get-go of, of all my runs, my sister, uh, her name is Lorraine Skeet. We were very, very young uh, when we actually did our first run, and we completed the final run. Um, two years ago, and uh, Lorraine has been uh, an asset in, in, in these events, so I, I'm so glad that uh, we were able to um, uh, do a project um, that has uh, a meaning behind it, so thank you. And I would have the for yeah, final thoughts, it's my acknowledgement and thanks to Edison for entrusting uh, this participation to me to observe what he was doing, to observe, like uh, he said, the work of 40 years planning that he would think I could um, adequately depict this so that the story can move on beyond just you know, he and I explaining it and talking about it. Uh, that, that can go far, and it's good, but books can transcend space and time, which is why I got so interested in them in a young age. And so uh, I feel very honored to be able to, to play some role in passing on this, this story. So thank you. And uh, uh, just one comment. Uh, you know, the book does have a lot of history, uh, commentary as well as the story of the run itself and there's also uh, a lot of spirituality in this book and talk about the significance of of something like uh, the the shush the the bears tracks uh, yes uh, that that did happen um, where I was living at that time there was an appearance of a bear. Uh, on my vehicle that I came back to Taos just one night and uh, a bear must have smelled some 
trail mix I was going to bring to Edison the next day or something. Maybe it was in my car, but a, a bear uh, crawled on my car and left his or her uh, footprints on the hood, on the back windows. It's like it was painting the car and it bent my license plate. I still have that license plate. I still have that vehicle. So, uh, yes, that, that did happen. Uh, bears a very powerful presence. Jim, you also recounted various uh, uh, stories from uh, Navajo mythology and, and more. Uh, Edison mentioned uh, that his mother um, had commented on uh, uh, the Geico uh, gecko, and then uh, afterward uh, Edison realized that uh, she probably had actually experienced a talking lizard at some point. As you look at the um, the mythology, uh, the emergence of the Navajo people, uh, we were able to communicate with animals. That's why the bluebird was a part of that. Um, and through the years. And this uh, event happened uh, at my house. I, I live in uh, New Mexico and I drive to Arizona. Sometimes I'll stop and pay a visit. And I did one night and there's a basketball going on and in the middle of the, the game, the Geico comes on and he's talking and walking around and all that. And then afterwards, uh, there was a little pause. And then my mom asked me if the lizard was really talking. And, uh, and I, it kind of struck me because it's like, you know, because mom is really good. She's 98 years old and her mindset is so in so well intact. It is amazing. Uh, she will tell the story of the 1940s and 45s and so the list goes on in detail. And I was really struck by that. I said, wait a minute. And so I told mom, no, I said, they're, they're just making it talk. That's all it is. And so that kind of struck me odd. And then the next morning I drove off and on my way out, it's like, oh my gosh, that is the old tradition. That I was, I mean, I was like, I, I was smiling away. It's like, oh my gosh, that, you know, that's, that's a, a true segment of what tradition means. Edison, you had mentioned uh, in the in the book um, that the ultra marathon uh, from Canyon de Chelly to, to to Santa Fe uh, might very well be your last. You also mentioned that you had completed some runs with your sister Lorraine. Uh, are there any shorter runs in your future? I'm going to continue to run for the sake of athletics. Um, I will, you know, I, I will not do another solo uh, ultra running, uh, long distance running. No, I'm, I'm done. The age is uh, beyond. My, you know, someone doing this, you got to be around uh, 35 to 45 at least to, because you're, you're equipped. Your physical anatomy is all intact, so you're, you're able to manage the punishment. But once you hit 50, it's, it's a tough one. Like I said, I turned 60 on my final run, and it, it's tough. It, it's really tough. Now, you know, a marathon is 26 miles, 385 yards, and people will compete in that. And when you run one of those marathons, it takes a month, one complete month to recover. Well, I was running almost a marathon a day for 15 days, and that, you know, that's... Uh, especially with the age, that is way too much. There's a fine line of, you know, there's a fine line where, you know, running it could be dangerous too. Indeed. And I do hope that you're, you're healthy now. I'm okay. Uh, Jim, um, has Edison inspired you to explore other aspects of athleticism? Um, I know that you've done a lot of hiking and some running, but uh, you think you might do a little more of the running end. Well, something in me uh, 
knew running was important, and I I would run very regularly uh, when I was in my twenties and thirties. Um, it's kind of like uh, I'm a two hundred pound European man who is six foot three, and if uh, it seems that if the spirit tells the body how it should be formed, it is such that um, if there was a conflict or a problem, I would probably be better off. Uh, I, I, my instinct would be to fight that problem and and I, running like I've never been able to go faster than a six minute mile. Um, that probably wouldn't be good. Like I'd probably be better at uh, sticking or I don't know something in me that doesn't. Like I, I know running is important. It's good for the cardio, and uh, but I'm uh, very kind of obsessed with uh, combat. So I've been doing those, and I probably wouldn't uh, pursue running the way Edison has, and uh, the way he's been able to demonstrate it. But yes, uh, long distance walking is something I'm looking into. I just spent this weekend training as a river guide here on the Rio Grande in Whitewater, and I'll probably do that. This summer, if I can, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to staying physically active. That, that's for sure. And for future uh, um, physical activity, if Edison was to suggest something to me, because I know he's such a keen-eyed coach, any ideas he says, I listen to. So I would, regardless of what I'm saying now, if he said something to me tomorrow, I would, I would listen, and I would probably change my mind. <laughs> so <what he> <laughs> One of my uh, old martial uh, arts instructors said that running away was one of the best defenses. I never said I was smart. All right. I've been speaking with uh, Edison Esquites, um, the runner, and uh, Jim Christoffic, who um, went along on his uh, journey commemorating uh, the long walk uh, with uh, ultra marathon from Canyon de Chez to uh, the Palace of the Governors in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, several years ago, 2018. Uh, this book, uh, Send a Runner, is published by New Mexico Press. It should be available just about anywhere you look. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, spending some time talking about this book and your journey. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel.